This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. What's going on, operators? Welcome to this week's interview. We're going to be talking about one of my absolute favorite topics. I say that a lot, don't I? But this one, I'm, I really mean it. We're going to be diving into marketing because marketing, it's essential, right? It's how we're going to grow our business, how we're going to propel our growth, get new clients, grow our teams. It all kind of starts with our marketing framework and our marketing hat on to continue to bring in those students, those members, the, that cash flow we need to propel our growth. So I brought in an expert today. I brought in Caleb Roach. Caleb is the marketing strategist for C. Roach Consulting. They work with both small and large enterprise level businesses to help them not only create, but then implement marketing strategies to help fuel their growth and grow their companies. Thank you so much for joining me, Caleb. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So um Super eager just to start with some of your background. Like, how did you get to, to this place and and to be as passionate about marketing as you are? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. So uh, I first start, started thinking that I wanted to go into the legal profession. So I started a legal internship with a local attorney here in Oklahoma City, and realized very quickly within about a year that I did not that the legal side of things that I saw on TV was completely different than what I expected. I expected to be able to walk into the courtroom and say. Hey, your honor, I rest my case and my the defendant gets off. But it was a lot of writing. And I, as much of a nerd as I am, I hated sitting and looking at writing the entire day. So what that did was it propelled kind of as I worked for the firm, I noticed that there was pieces of marketing that I really enjoyed. You know, what does a website look like? And I hope no one can ever find that website that I created because I started, I was like, let me build you a website. And I I got, I rented a camera. I took photos of the courthouse. I thought it was so cool. And looking back, I mean, this was probably the worst website I've ever been built. But that being said, it really propelled my interest in marketing. And so um, my career choice, whether I was going to go in the legal field or not, was to go into at least a business degree because I had been coached and mentored to say, even if you do become a lawyer, it always helps to have not to go into like a political science degree. So I had chosen marketing from the very beginning. I was always interested in consumer behavior. And so what that did was I went to college for marketing. I got my bachelor's in marketing. And by the time that I finished my program, I'd kind of figured out what I wanted to do. I wanted to stay on the marketing side, whether it was a marketing agency side or, you know, a corporate level side job. And so I interviewed at a couple of different agencies and locally, the agency world does not pay very well for starters. And so I'm married at the time. We have a kid, you know, on the way. And so the offers that I was getting, I was like, I can't support a family based on that. You know, there's no way. So I ended up getting an offer from a company called Inspire Brands that owns uh, Sonic, Jimmy John's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Arby's, uh, Rescue Talk. There's a couple other brands. And what I was able to do was I worked there for about two years in consumer behavior, consumer insights. So we would test products that went to mar- pre pre going to market, see you know if they have a triple dog Coney cheeseburger, what's the saltiness level, and you know how many how does the, the just about right of lettuce compare to the tomato, and do we need to take the tomato off? Is there too much? And so I spent two years working in there, which was incredible because I got a lot of exposure to these big level decisions, big budgets. It's not just a, hey, we're going to run a Facebook campaign for 30 bucks. I mean, we're we're looking at something completely different. So during my time there, I, I realized very quickly at the same time that I did not want someone telling me when to show up and when I could take time off and when not. Um, as much as I can't control that now still, but I wanted to have a little bit more control that Oh my gosh, my, you know, we have a baby appointment and they're like, well, you're going to have to request time off. I absolutely did not like that. So while I'm working for Inspire, I started my quote unquote side hustle, um, started doing marketing consulting on the side, got a couple of businesses, very small that I worked into. And before you know, within two years, COVID rolls around, I'm working from home. It's becoming a lot easier to kind of have a side hustle and got to the point where I was making more off that than I was in my full-time salary job. And so went to my wife and said, Hey, been doing this for three months, like that we've made enough income, let's do it on our own. And so I transitioned full time into owning my own marketing consulting firm where we've kind of grown into hiring employees and 
we've grown and scaled from, you know, we, we're no longer charging our small business clients 200 bucks a month for marketing consulting. Um, so that's been a plus as well. Uh, but we're starting to work with a lot larger companies and providing strategic directions. And so that's kind of our story, long-winded story, but it, it has a couple of different pieces that are kind of fun and hilarious at the same time. I love that so much, Caleb, especially the, the consumer behavior aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could nerd out for a while. We might. That might be the direction we, we take this because I'm a geek about that stuff. I think it's amazing. Well, I do think one of the things that we've we've noticed within any of the businesses that we work with, whether they're small or even corporate based, a majority of them are really not focused on consumer behavior. They're focused on the fun side of marketing, you know, the the shiny side. Hey, we're going to run Facebook ads. We're going to do some sort of advertising. We're going to shoot this cool video. But they don't look at the back end and say, okay, on the product side, is our product delivering on expectations for our consumers? And how are we, you know, developing better products? What are we adding? How can we do price increases? All those different types of things. And what people don't typically understand is that all falls within marketing. It might seem like it's a supply chain issue or product development, but product development really falls under marketing on the brand scheme of things. You have a product developer, but outside of that, your messaging, how you take it to in-market, what that does for lift on market share across different percentages. So that's where I think a lot of people have to shift their focus on. Now it's becoming a popular trend to think about consumer insights and what is your consumer thinking? What are they wanting? And how are we developing better products around our consumer? Oh my, we're opening Pandora's box. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. this is going to be a three-hour podcast, everyone. Just kidding. (laughs) It'll be a mini MBA in consumer insights. So if, if you're listening to the show and you've never dived into that part of your brand or you don't know how to get started, like what are some ways if if you're not collecting this information right now, like how can you get started, Caleb? I think it really starts with a lot of, and again, this this can be translated a couple different ways across either a small business or a corporate side. So I think it starts with a lot of self-reflection and introspectiveness on the corporation or the individual running the business, because you really have to sit down and say, what key metrics can we actually identify that would kind of help propel us in this direction? And sometimes that can be a very difficult question to ask yourself because there's maybe a thousand different things, or maybe there's nothing that you can see, but it all starts with asking the questions of diving into that and saying, okay, what does our customer retention rate look like? You know, if you're a more of a product-based service, how often are buybacks happening when our customers coming back? Is it only when we do promotions? So there's a lot, and we can dive further into this if you want, but I think there's a lot of questions that you can ask and a lot of different KPIs, key performance like indicators that you can see within your business that doesn't require an MBA to look at and say, okay, we are failing on customers coming back. Like we know that. So why aren't they coming back? And starting to dive in and asking, the biggest piece is asking your customers questions. Don't be afraid to ask them questions. When they come in, if you're a retail-based business, if you're B2B, if you're a SaaS, Start finding ways you can interact with your customers, current customers and new and past customers that maybe didn't have a good experience or that haven't come back and establish those questions. Why didn't you come back? What about our service was it that made you not come back? Or, you know, why did you leave? Not a very direct tone, but finding ways that you can ask and say, like, we're interested. Why? What, what, would, what would it take for you to come back? And start asking those questions to see if someone left Are there things that you can add to your product? Are there things that you can add to your service offerings? Are there things that you need to take off? And so it all starts with a lot of introspection. And then at the same time, also asking your customers just point blank questions, you know, not very direct, but hey, why didn't you like this service in a, you know, marketing fashion? But um, so I think that's the first key to understanding because when we talk to people, it's like, you know, with your business, if I ask you that question, I might have a completely different idea from what I've seen on the outside versus what you see. And you have to combine both of those because as business owners, as executives, whatever that looks like, we can be very narrow-minded in what we think is going wrong or going right. And sometimes our intuition really helps us, but sometimes it leads us astray as well because we focus on, well, maybe they're not coming back because our price is too high. And so they focus on, okay, what can we do to drop our margins? What can we do to drop this? And then that's what they do. And they don't see any you know, value from that when instead, maybe they should have said, how can we add more value to the current price? And what can we do to, you know, to alienate that and make it a little bit better? So those are kind of the two tips that I would say for the very beginning side, just ask your customers and do a lot of like self-reflection on what are we looking at from our internal perspective and what needs to change from our perspective? 
marrying that with what a, like what have your customers said as well. Very nice. That's smart. I, I love the idea of looking in first because it, it, it's easy to uh, just make broad assumptions without actually taking the time to like search through your feelings and your thoughts and your intuitions and coming to that place versus just need an answer right now. And it's, it's never that easy. So when we, and, and we, I've seen everyone has biases. And so we, we personally believe that there's something wrong with our business or that there's something wrong with the organization or our department or whatever that looks like. And the, the other piece is that we have yet to be very careful in analyzing things like this is data has now, you know, that you hear the term data is more valuable than oil at this point. There's so much data. And so as, as great as that is and how effective it is to help build a business, at the same time, there's so much data out there. What do you translate? And so that's the other piece is what is your bias towards the data and what is the data telling you or lying to you about? Because you can take two different directions on that piece. And which piece of the data are you looking at? Are you looking at it from a like a holistic perspective or are you like honing in on just one figure and trying to make that one figure move? And that might not be the one figure that you need to make move. You know, it could be a different figure, but it starts with that. I like it. Man, I yeah. Could, yeah, there's a there's a lot you can unpack. And I think yes. it really relates to what you probably talk with with individuals about is on the leadership standpoint. I mean, you don't walk in and tell someone when you're coaching someone, you don't come in and say, hey, you need to improve on this one thing. It's going to translate into other things. You have to identify right. what things do we need to work on? What things are you doing effectively? And how do we you know mirror and match those things to combine this great individual or this great company? And so there's mm-hmm. so many different pieces that you can't just throw glue on it and say, well, we're going to drop the price and that drops, you know, that saves all of our problems. There's so much data. There's so many things that you have to look at on a broad perspective. Yeah. And it's also important to establish like a real firm baseline and understanding what numbers are really doing. Because if we're looking at numbers in a very micro sense of the word, like well, our sales for this week were that, but you got to like broaden it out too. But what were they for the month? What were they for the quarter? How does that average out? Because we have good weeks and bad weeks. And that's kind of part of the ebb and flow of being in business. And it's about seeing things through the bigger perspective in addition to the micro, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, one little trick I'll share with you podcast listeners. You know, Caleb was talking about asking questions and we all want testimonials. We all want social proof. Yep, you should be getting those. Before you automate it, actually get on a call with your customers and sneak those questions into your testimonial interview. You you can find out more about the customer by sneaking it in when you already have a warm audience. So it's it's that's a neat little trick I've used. Some gold right there. That's that's people should have to pay for that. You should like pay all that right there. <laughs> well, you know, there there might be an example of one of my testimonial scripts inside the paid part, you know. There just you go. Saying. Hey, great. I love it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for sure. Fantastic. Oh. Cool. Well, we'll definitely swing back around to this because it all it all drives is driven by consumer behavior. And one of the interesting things that there's a lot of mixed messages right now. And and it's something you were stressing on your site about uh, the services you guys offer and really coming down to the website. Now I come from the click funnels universe where they say websites are dead and everyone's building funnel hubs now. Like what is it that you're seeing from your side that makes the website imperative and part of what businesses still need to this day to grow? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think if you put a hundred different marketing experts in a room, I think you would have a completely different opinion from everyone. And so I think that's the, the beautiful part about marketing and everything that's happening is there's all these different perspectives. So what we're seeing is we've seen a lot of people have this conversation. It's like, okay, why do I need a website? What's that important? And it all boils down to what's your point of what you're doing. And so if you, if you think you need a website, why do you think you need a website? Because if you think you need a website just for a website, You probably should get a website, but you're not going to put the time and dedication into actually having that website because if you just think, well, it's a website, that's great. You know, I have a website people can go to. It's always good to have a baseline perspective or at least a funnel or something. But it really boils down to there's so many different channels that people are on and it's hitting that piece of organic search that's so important. And so, you know, it's like it's like if you look at TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, apps, 
ClickFunnels website. There's so many different things that you can do. And what we we advise our clients, and obviously from our perspective, we do believe websites are important. And I can I'll dive into that in a minute. But what we see is go into the channels that obviously either an expert or just for you, if you're identifying it on your own, go into the channels that you're willing to dedicate the time and that you personally think are going to help you and test it. And if it doesn't work, adapt. Because if I tell you that, you know, there's a lot of data that says apps are taking over websites right now. As much as I think people are on apps a lot, I think there's a lot of pieces that people are missing out on that. Because A, you have to get someone to download the app. You have to have them keep the app and use the app regularly. Because right. from my perspective, I already Mac out my data, you know, like I have a 250 gigabyte phone. I just recently had to delete like 10 apps because they're like gigabyte plus, and I'm trying to make storage. I should probably just go get a new phone with bigger storage, but here I am. And so you got to think about it. The apps might be more popular, but at the end of the day, like you have to get someone to download it. How are you going to get them to download it? What offer are you or product are you going to offer on there? And then the other piece is you can either build the app or you can hire someone. And I don't know if you've looked at app building rates, but I mean, they're like 20 to $50,000 for a minimally viable product. And that's just yes. like a basic sign-in page with a couple pages. And I can promise you websites are much cheaper, especially ClickFunnels too. So if you think about like from a broad budget perspective, a corporate side that has the resources and abilities to build an app, that's great. That's awesome. But on the other piece is how do you get people to that app? It's not like people are browsing the app store every day. I mean, there are some people, but I'd say 95% of consumers are not. I don't open up my phone and instead of going to TikTok or Facebook or Google, I look up, okay, what are the trending apps? Like I might do that weekly or monthly, but it takes a lot of effort to get your, your app in the actual rankings as well. So there's that piece. Now on the click funnels versus website versus not having a website, I think one is better than the other. And so I do think no matter if you do a click funnel, if you do a website, I think that's better than nothing. Because if you have no online visibility, if people still like, there are still so many Google searches happening that if you're not capturing at least one of those, I mean, why aren't you? It takes literally five minutes to build something. Even if it's not anything amazing, like at least have that on there. I'm not saying to do that, but I'm just saying at the very minimum, that would be the least you could do. The reason why we think websites are so important is because we have seen so many clients, so many businesses that are that have started very small that have generated so much traffic just from having a really well-built-out website with really good backend as well built for SEO. And so what I what I typically refer to with our clients is I don't, and I'll put a disclaimer, like I'm not saying this to say, well, if you build a website, this is the results that you can see because you really never know what you're going to get out of a website or SEO or how long it takes. It's a long game. We had a small medical billing company here in rural Oklahoma that, you know, if you think of rural Oklahoma, you don't think of like corporate level, like, very, you know, very small, let's say. And so they had a website, they've gone through a couple of different websites, they've never really liked it. We built one and a year later, we're like, hey, you're getting some traction, you maybe have 100,000 organic impressions online, you know, through Google every, every year, which, you know, thinking about it, that's about 10,000, it's not anything huge but it's, it's still something. And so they, the first year they generated about a, a thousand clicks and 10,000 organic impression or hundred thousand organic impressions online. So we said, Hey, like, this is great, but we're going to take this to the next level. They added a blog, they added some landing pages and this year, second year in, they have hit they'll they'll hit by the end of the year, a million organic impressions and 10,000 clicks online. And it's already translated to several pieces of business from Connecticut, from Texas. I mean, they're like getting traffic that because they can serve this, those types of people. And so the thing that I always tell people is like what they, they've minimally invested. It's not like they've spent tens of thousands of dollars. And if you look at the advertising piece to get a million impressions, they're looking at an average cost per thousand impressions of 20 bucks. So they they would have had to spend about $50,000 just to get those impressions and not even those right. conversions. And so- Again, everyone have different ideas, but that's why we believe the importance of a website is because there's still so much organic search traffic and it it really helps supplement a paid strategy because you can start the paid strategy, you know, if you're trying to get instant business to support, you know, traffic to your website, build out the back end of the website to where within I'm going to say 2 years, that might be a long period for most people thinking or listening to this, but in 2 years that's going to pay off dramatically and you're going to you're going to be able to pull that paid ads budget and either keep that and have like a functioning organic search traffic, or you can allocate that towards a different piece of your business. Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. Cause you're, 
you, 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 we need to be on both sides of the same coin at the same time. We need to be thinking about the immediate, but also the long game. We are building companies for the long game. And if you're stuck in those short-term paradigms, I mean, it's only a matter of time before the next Facebook Zuck slap comes and, and destroys Facebook. You know, we're in the middle well, of one right what- now. Right? That's what or- we talked about. I mean, and that's what I like the, the one thing that we talked to people about is, okay, so let's say you throw all of your baskets in websites. So you, your only channel is your website. What happens if Google goes down? We know it's not going to happen for a while. We know it's probably never going to happen. But what if they get hit with some like monopoly regulation where they have to pull their search down, something like that, it can happen. And so now all of your eggs are in one basket. You have your website. Same thing with mm-hmm. Facebook. If the Facebook outage happens, your retail business how do you communicate with your customers if you lose two days of Facebook? If that's the only way that you, like, if you don't have an email list, if you don't have a website, how are people going to find you? You know, like, so that's where it, you can't throw all of your eggs in one basket. It's always good to be very strategic in what you do and very intentional, but at the same time, you right. can't just rely on one thing to, to generate all of your business. Absolutely. hundred percent. Fully agree. There's something, <laughs> there's something I was thinking of there. Oh, the other, the, the added benefit, I think, with my marketing hat on is when someone is Google searching versus scrolling through TikTok or whatever, like they're coming at it with intention. Like they're mm-hmm. searching for their problems. So they are a much higher prospect just by the fact that they are the one initiating the conversation, initiating the search versus interruption marketing, which is a whole different thing. So yeah, I'm, I, I mean, it, I have a website and I'm a ClickFunnels guy. So, you know, obviously yeah. I, I want to stir it up a little bit, but um, even I do think I also has this. a website for gosh sakes, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I don't, I'll say like I really think ClickFunnels can be an effective strategy, especially if you're doing paid, because if you do face like if you can direct any advertising efforts to a landing page where you have very defined product offerings, I think that's huge, and that's where I think yes. the effectiveness of ClickFunnels is great. I can't speak to the effectiveness of like organic search because I know ClickFunnels reached out or like they they've started doing SEO like abilities. I don't know the the side of it, like I'm assuming it's probably pretty good if they've built it. But the one piece of search that I think is so important is page depth. You can't just put a three page website out and expect to get a million impressions. I mean, you have to have like a 500 to a thousand page website. And I don't think people Mm -hmm. understand that. They think I can just put a website out with some content on there and you might get some like, you know, some impressions, some clicks, but you're not going to get the organic search traffic if you just let your website sit stagnant. And so that's where... I do think you you have to segment all of these channels. And I know we haven't really talked much about TikTok or Facebook, but on advertising, you have to segment what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because you can't just expect like Facebook ads to work with every business. You can't expect LinkedIn. You can't expect TikTok. And all of the impressions are relative. A thousand impressions on Facebook might be comparable to a hundred impressions on Google and 10,000 impressions on TikTok because they're all different channels. They're all not bad. But we're all going off of, well, I got 10,000 impressions. That's huge. And while you're getting in front of people, are you getting in front of the right people? That's the biggest piece. Mm. I love that about page depth too. And and if you're thinking, well, that's a lot of pages to make. Well, I mean, ask, ask yourself, guys, like if you have a content strategy, like you're making YouTube videos or I, like I have this podcast, I make a new page for every podcast episode. And it's about consistency, building that over time. We're never going to build this business overnight. So stop pretending we can. And instead. So you're telling me I can't build a million dollar business by tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Darn it. I I already ordered my Ferrari. Dang it. Yeah, that was going to be my headline. Dang it. No, and I think it's something to be said, like, and there's so many different pieces, you know, depending on how, what your budget looks like and like how much time you have. But I mean, there's like on Fiverr, there are transcribers. You can, there are paid transcribers that like for a podcast, you can hire and pay between $5 and a hundred dollars, depending on quality and get a full like 500 to a thousand word transcription of your podcast that Google's going to recognize. And so like, yes. it's super simple, throw a YouTube embed code on there along with some text and there's content for you. I use otter.ai, which is like 20 bucks a month and you yeah. get like a hundred thousand minutes trans it's all machine God, translated, but yeah. we're, you know, we're talking about keywords. We're talking about content. We're talking about depth of the website, which Google is looking for. And yep. that all kind of leads into SEO, which is this huge phrase. And with <laughs> decades of 
bad knowledge now because it's all been outdated. So what are the current things that you're seeing working for SEO that we can start working towards? So what we're seeing, and again, this is another thing with like the website where like we see, we have our different strategies and you could talk to 10 different people and everyone's going to say something different. What we recommend right now for our clients is building out hyper-local landing pages, depending on if you're like a local business or like nationwide as well, of building out a simple like landing page for a specific city, county, state, and providing, you know, so for us, like marketing consulting services in Edmond, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma City, or New York, New York. And so what we do with those is you add a heading one tag on that, and then you provide a lot of content to where it's not, and I say a lot of content, make sure it's very specific. Because I've seen some people, and it seems to be working now, but I think with all the algorithm changes, they'll throw on their marketing consulting page for New York, New York. New York City is a population town of 3,550,000. And while it gets you on the search terms, I think Google's getting extremely smart on what they're doing. And so when they're scraping pages, I think there's going to be a lot of shift. And so when you're building out these hyper-local landing pages, you have to make it relevant to that specific area to tell Google, hey, this is the spot. But you can't just keyword stuff at this point. Like it's Google has gotten way smarter for that. And so while it might work in the short term, I think there's a lot of penalties that people are not seeing until a little bit farther that they're starting to get you know penalized for. So I'd say the first thing that we're recommending is a hyper-local landing page strategy, building out like all of these different service categories for different areas. And then that relates to page depth. And so there's a couple different ranking factors that Google, that we use on our audits that you you never want to have an orphan page. And what that means is there's no you know link to that page. And so if you go on your website, you would have to enter the straight URL. You couldn't find it off your website. That's one of the big things that we're seeing with our clients is making sure that there are no orphan pages and making sure that there's multiple click-throughs to each page. And so if you think about it from a, like, a, you know, a, let's say a map perspective, you got to show Google the map of where you're going. And so you've got to navigate users through an experience to where they go on your homepage, they go on about, here's all your different links, and then showing the page depth from there, which leads into the page depth side of things. You want to make sure that you have some sort of site map. What we've seen to be really successful recently is at the bottom of your footer, add like a site map link where it drops to an actual page built for a sitemap that links all of your main pages and main navigation sites. And then that can link into further depth for different links. But what that does is it builds reputation across Google from our perspective. And I'm not Google, so I can't tell if it actually does. But what we've seen successful, when you have that sitemap link in the footer, not only does that footer, every page of the footer drop to that sitemap. So now you've got, let's say, 50 pages that drop to that sitemap page. Now that's one depth in to that sitemap. And then you can do like an areas we serve, which is now a page that has all of the areas that you serve with all the services linked to those landing pages. So you're like three or four pages deep that have, you know, 50 pages referring into it to where now your website has a lot of page depth because to get to the local landing pages, you go to sitemap areas we serve and now that. And so it's a way to show Google that, hey, this is something that we do. But we're not keyword stuffing because we're not trying to say, here's all the areas we serve at the bottom of our footer. It it takes it into two or three different pages to where now you've got that access. So we've seen those two things to be really successful. And then this is like from the 2000s still, but blogging consistent content is really huge as well. And it's something that I have to work on as our business. I can't preach this. I mean, if you look at our website, we're historically terrible at blogging because we're so focused on building our client's business. but I will say seeing clients shift in traffic volume from blogs. And when I say blogs, like having quality blogs, don't go buy a $5 blog from Fiverr. It's not a bad idea, but it's not a great idea at the same time. It adds content, but Google is now looking at duplicate content. They're looking at now they're like, they're looking at it from a humanistic perspective an AI perspective of how does this read? And as much as I love AI for blog posts, the one thing that you have to take into consideration for SEO is we're not just looking for rankings. We're looking for on-page experience as well. And so mm-hmm. you can't just create an AI bot around what is marketing and then lead people. Let's say you get a thousand clicks on what is marketing page and it's an AI generated blog about what is marketing. Marketing is the science of getting consumers to buy a product. Marketing helps uses Facebook ads and tick. Like if I see that, if I'm a consumer, 
I might've gotten a thousand clicks, but your bounce rate is going to be like 95% because yeah. your AI generated blog, while it's getting you the search rankings, it's not taking into account the user experience. So you, you have worse have... now, anyone that was a genuine prospect now isn't. Exactly. Thank you. So that's where I think we have to build a lot of recognition around. There's a lot of information going around right now in the marketing space. Just get traffic in. Well, that's great. But your content has to be reflective of who you are and what you do. And so you can't just build all these blog posts and it be terrible because if we wrote a marketing blog that had no marketing information about it, everyone's going to click off and think we're like complete idiots because they go to our page and like this marketing consulting firm that serves large clients is saying marketing, you should do Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads. That's all you like. So that's the piece of SEO that you have to come up from like a user experience side. So very long-winded answer to SEO, but those are what we're seeing and some recommendations that we're providing to people. I love it. I think it's all very practical too. And in some ways, it's so relieving to know that the cold keyword stuffing and like hidden black hat or gray hat or tricks are not working anymore because like trying to keep up with those is just exhausting. And now yeah, we're just I, talking I, about building like a quality experience, which is good anyway. Yeah, and I, I will say I there are people that would probably say that they're still working, but I, I would say look at long-term effects of it. And short-term, they might be working very good, but long-term effects, I think next six months to a year, I think there's going to be a dramatic shift from like page rankings and how that works. So it's very, it's very exciting for people that are actually doing the right things on their website. Yeah, and if you don't believe us, like just Google, <laughs> Google, Google, Google. <laughs> the, there's actually a phrase for it. It's called the Google slap. And like it's happened repeatedly over and over again. Like this is not just 2022's problem. This was 2010 problem and 2005s and 2000s. Like this has happened over and over again. It's going to happen again. Yep. And that's why I think like SEO specifically has to be a long-term strategy. If you're making the investment into it, you don't want to waste money. You don't want to burn money just thinking like, oh my gosh, this is going to work. But at the same time, it's not like Facebook ads where you deliver an ad right away to a consumer. And so when what we're saying to our clients is we will never promise results in period. We'll show you what we've done for clients. We'll show you what we've seen done and we'll work our strategies and hope that works. We'll put a lot of time and effort. That's why you're paying us. But at the end of the day, if someone comes to you and says within one to three months, I can rank you on page one. Don't listen to those people anymore. I mean, again, maybe I'm going to put myself on the chopping block here, but I think the more that you hack the system, the more that you jump in line without people knowing, I think it's just going to hurt you long-term and the detrimental effects of that, getting your site like slapped by Google and having that like somewhat of a ban on the back end that you're not even seeing, that's going to be extremely det detrimental, especially if you spent so much time building content and a website around what you want when people can't even find it. So... <laughs> If that doesn't keep you guys up at night, I don't know what does. That that scares the heck out of me. So <laughs> are there any uh, platforms that work best or work better for actually building websites? Because I like there's the, the there's the all in ones where like Kajabi, you can build your whole thing. Well, can you? Is it really the best or like what have you found to be the better platforms, at least to build the front end? So what we say from like, if if you're hiring a semi-decent website designer, even if you're trying to do it internally, the tools like Square, like we typically recommend either Squarespace or WordPress. Um, there's a lot of internal debate whether SEO rankings work really well with WordPress or Squarespace. Squarespace performance isn't as good as WordPress. WordPress is 1995 compared to 2022 Word, like Squarespace. So what we recommend is there are platforms that there's tons of platforms out there the two main builders that we recommend are either uh, WordPress or Squarespace. Squarespace is going to be our main recommendation because it has all of the web hosting because there's like, if you think about WordPress, not only do you have to build the website, you have to get some template builder. You have to get a lot of plugins to make sure that you can put an image in without having to hard code it. Now you've got to worry about hosting security, SSL, all of that based on your right. website. And so for a standard even a corporate level business, I mean, even let's say 25 million below, they don't have the time or resources typically to, to spend having someone just focus on a WordPress website. And so 
I mean, it takes like a full-time thing. If you, if you think about it, like a full-time person could spend all of their time on WordPress and probably still not have enough time. And so that's typically yeah. what we say, like on the word, on the Squarespace side, very functional. There's, there's a couple limitations, which is, that's why I recommend WordPress. Cause you can't, you can do a lot on it, but it's not just a straight hard code. So there's a lot, there's some functionality that you really have to look at when, before deciding to do Squarespace. But one thing we love about Squarespace is it's drag and drop. You can move things, but at the same time, you can also code and you can add, you can all add all of your pixel codes in there. You can do e-commerce through Shopify, Squarespace, different platforms. So we found from like a user experience, having ownership of your website, making changes, Squarespace provides kind of the best piece for that because a business owner that doesn't have the time or knowledge to go in and hard code WordPress to change one term can go into Squarespace and just make that adjustment very quickly. So there, hmm. again, I might be putting myself on the chopping block by saying Squarespace because then I'm not a traditional website designer, but I'm like, if you take the tools that are presented to you and it's found effective, I mean, 95% of our client sites are on Squarespace and I can promise you that they're ranking very well across SEO. I mean, that that medical billing company is a Squarespace website and they got over a million like you know, organic impressions and we run all the page speed scores and they're, they're standard, if not a little bit above. So mm -hmm. again, might be opening myself up to have someone yell at me, but uh, I think, in my opinion, I think Squarespace is a really viable option for a business. Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't personally used Squarespace. I've used WordPress and uh, wrestled with WordPress. I realized when I'm not a website designer, that's what I found out when I went <laughs> yeah. to WordPress. Fair. Well, and I think like there's, you know, even like Wix, I don't think it's a, you know, a terrible platform or whatever, but at the same time, the one piece that, you know, I always kind of say with that is like Wix, like we have a client that just switched over from Wix to Squarespace. Wix comes across as a cheap provider. They're quick and easy. But what they got frustrated on was Wix, you could do like, you could start your website. It was like 14, 15 bucks a month. Well, then outside of that, you would have to do hosting plan. You you'd get a hosting plan. An SSL certificate is, you know, an extra five bucks a month. To actually use a domain, you have to be on their premium plan, which is like 50 bucks a month. So by the time that add-ins come in, it's a hundred plus dollars just for hosting and even WordPress or Squarespace is like 20 to 25 at max for everything that you would need. So you do have to be very cognizant of is the website builder that I'm using? Because there's Drupal now. I mean, there's really good designers out, like good design platforms out there that I haven't even used that I can't provide a recommendation on. But you have to just make sure that when I design and launch the site, am I looking at like $3,000 just for hosting fees? And maybe I look at something different and investing those resources into something different. But that's all based on, you know, what works best for the consumer. And is that service going to still be there in three years? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> You're going to have to rebuild after doing all this work. I mean, there's a reason WordPress has been around for so long. I mean, it just, yep. well, it just I works. will say, like, off of that comment, I will say the other piece of marketing that, and I, I would assume that you kind of have these conversations as well, kind of like from a leadership perspective, if you're hiring and training, bringing in like an operations expert and you're having 10 different, com 10 different operations experts come in within a three-year period, your organization is going to be so disorganized because one person's going to do it. You're going to follow that. And then the next expert's going to come in. So it's the same thing with marketing. Again, it's easy to get frustrated with marketing experts or make that wrong hire. And people don't learn from their hires since they make one bad marketing you know, consultant hire, and then they hire another bad one and they don't learn the mistake. So by the time that they're three years in, they get you know, nine to 10 different marketing companies that they've worked with, that they've invested all of this money and they have nothing to show for it. And so then they come to us or companies that are, you know, focused around providing a great experience. And now they're like, they have these unrealistic expectations because, well, we've spent $50,000 with 10 different people and we haven't seen results. So when we work with you, we expect to see results, which is completely unrealistic. And B, they don't have anything to show for it, which is very important when you're working with a marketing consultant, whether you're doing like marketing internally, make sure that what you're building is sustainable for the long term. Obviously, you have to pivot. There's ways that you pivot. There's platforms you have to get off, you have to get on. But at the same time, having an essential strategy helps you stay consistent with what you have and what you're building actually becomes an asset, not just something that gets replaced. Mm. And all, the other thing they get is they, they get jaded, like they have unrealistic yes. expectations and then they're super jaded. They they get those false beliefs of this doesn't work, that doesn't work. Well, no, it does. It just 
you had a really crappy guy trying to help you, or there wasn't something like something wasn't connecting there. And that's why people bring these unrealistic expectations and bad data to the table for sure. Sorry, oh my, 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 my printer just started going off. Apologies for the background noise. Uh, <laughs> so, no, but I, I this do is think, live, guys. I mean, that's yeah, what it's we live. Do. Yeah, it's yeah. live. This is, I mean, I just texted my wife and was like, hey, can you not print? <laughs> uh, so, uh, I think, I really think though, that's, that's something really important on the marketing side is to really hone in. Just, it's not just about what I can offer, what I can promise you, because there's so much, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast about the fake marketing gurus or the fake promises. 99% of the fake promises have some sort of disclaimer that the guarantee that you're getting back is not a guarantee. And you have to, like I've seen outrageous ones where it's like, we will give you a money back guarantee. If you don't get 55 leads, you know, by, by the first month, what they say is, to qualify for the the guarantee, you have to call them six times a day for the entire 30 day. Like I've seen it some outrageous stuff. And so that's where the piece, like you really have to look and say like, how is this actually working? And so that's the one kind of recommendation I would provide from a broad marketing perspective is everything that you're doing marketing wise is consumer-based behavior, which is kind of comes back to that consumer insights. And while there are trends, while there are things that we've seen that work well for clients, if we deliver a creative, a beautifully created creative with perfect copy and the perfect offer, and I deliver that to the person and they're having a terrible day, they just got let go from their job, they they just found out that they have to replace their HVAC unit, that's $9,000, they have X, now you're in a different category. You've delivered it to that perfect person and they're not going to buy it because they've had some sort of external factor that has hit, inhibited them from purchasing or deciding on that offer. So the one piece that I like to say on marketing is we have to look at changing our expectations from marketing and looking at it from an investment standpoint in the data versus just a, how much business do I automatically get from this? Because you don't, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, I would hope so. I'm assuming you don't go to your financial advisor and say, I have a thousand dollars. By end of year, I would like to make a million dollars or even $10,000. I mean, $10,000 even sounds outrageous to some most people because you don't go to them and say, here's a thousand. I need you to 10 times it by the end of the year. So let's Unless say you're doing something illegal, but that's yes, not on this show. Which, <laughs> that's not on this show. So yeah. you don't go to your financial advisor and say, I want you to text 10x my money and guarantee it. If a financial advisor guarantees me 10x on my return, I'm going to think that they're probably money line. Like there's something sketchy about that. But what the illustration kind of brings in is, let's say that they they gave $1,000 during the COVID era to a financial advisor. With the amount of money that grew during COVID, you know, I might have made that $10,000 without actually knowing that I made that $10,000. But then if I took that $1,000 and invested it now, based on the market, I'm probably losing money. And so one of the things with marketing is you have to think of it from an investment standpoint, whether you're a small business and this is your last dollar or that you're a corporation and this is just a part of your budget. You have to look at what are we doing? How is this going to affect the the bottom line of our operations, whether it leads to additional revenue, whether it leads to just brand recognition, brand exposure, like lift in marketplace, you know, additional market share. And we can't just look at the top line data and say, well, we've got a certain amount of leads. That's great. You see what I'm saying? So that's where we like to advise clients to shift their focus and not become a cost leader and say, well, we haven't seen any results. We've dumped $100,000 in. We're expecting to get something, but attribute value to specific marketing metrics and hold your marketing metrics Mm -hmm. accountable and be willing to shut them off if if something changes, but be in it for the long-term investment is kind of what we like to tell people. And there's so many different ways we can track activities to purchases. I mean, if, if you're using any kind of customization, I've done this before where I had the same offer, but I had like 10 different landing pages for it. So I could track the source. Yeah. And so I could, I could do that data analysis to figure out where everything was actually coming from. So I can know which brand, which channels to amplify, which ones to put more emphasis onto. Well, we could we could talk about KPIs all day, but that this is an audio show. It doesn't work as well on audio. But um, <laughs> based on what you're seeing, uh, like what what do you think some of the the trends are going to be going forward? What's working now that might be shutting off, or where like where where's everything going? 
I'm really interested on what this TikTok thing does because uh, we've seen so much growth from TikTok, from different, you know, you see all these creators that have basically built a brand, which is incredible. I mean, I wish I had jumped on the trend. I mean, you see like specifically here, there's like a Paycom. Uh, are you familiar with the company called Paycom? Uh, they're based in yes. Oklahoma City. They're kind of a payroll management company. Um, they have an actual employee that went on TikTok and started doing videos. And she basically got promoted internally to do all of their corporate marketing, like all their promotions. And so now she's basically monetized. She's still an employee, but she's monetized. So it's it's just incredible. So the TikTok thing has been so incredible to watch and see like how people have monetized. But the one thing that I'm interested on is do they continue the steam or with all the recent news of the F F head of the FBI coming out and saying TikTok needs to go away. There's so much data that's being collected on U.S. citizens. So It'll be really fascinating to see where that TikTok trend goes for 2023 and whether that continues and you know becomes a really good piece. I will say I, I do think from what we've seen across both B2C and B2B clients, LinkedIn is becoming a, a more dominant platform again. Um, just in our opinion, from what we've seen, there's a lot of people getting more engaged on LinkedIn. There's a lot more job seekers out there looking for better opportunities. And so whether you're a B2B or B2C client like company. I think it's really important to get established on LinkedIn because if you service more like B2C clients and maybe your buyers aren't on the marketplace on LinkedIn, but let's say you're hiring, it's a great platform to have an established recognition that people can see that and you know build a following based on that. So we're, we're, we're advising our clients to get a little bit more engaged on LinkedIn and to really build that out. Um, and what we're seeing as well is I do think there's going to be a shift um, across over the next two years with all the election stuff coming up. I do think that there's going to be a shift in cost for advertising across both Google and Facebook, because I think there's going to be, this is going to be a very highly contested political, uh, you know, environment for the next two years. And so I think there's right. going to be a lot of funds being thrown at ads based on the political side of things, which is going to drive up the cost for advertisers just in general. So not only with inflation, everything going up, but I do think that there is going to be a trend line, which is not a positive trend line for businesses, but a positive trend line towards additional ad spend costs across like just standard advertising channels. Mm. I saw that during the 2000 elections, we, our CPM just kept going up, kept going up. It's like, okay. Well, I do think we've gotten very spoiled um, at a very low CPM cost and even a low cost, like conversion cost. And so I don't think as many companies are prepared that they're expecting to keep their conversion value and their like cost per thousand impressions extremely low. And I don't think that they're prepared for even a five to $10 increase, especially with larger budgets, because your cost per action goes up dramatically based on that. Even if you keep the same conversion cost and or the same conversion value. Which does bring this full circle back around to the start of our conversation. This is where consumer behavior and consumer insights becomes so valuable because if your cost per acquisition is going up, reselling and repeat selling becomes even more valuable for your long-term strategy, getting that customer for life and continuing to serve them. Like it's, it's more and more critical, I think now than ever. And we, uh, we probably said that a million times in marketing, haven't we? But I think yes. <laughs> um, there's so much to be said for reselling for, uh, getting customer loyalty and whatever we can do to do that is going to be huge. And I've seen that on LinkedIn as well. What, what you said about LinkedIn becoming more important. I'm getting mm -hmm. super high quality leads off LinkedIn. So yeah. I can, I can attest to that as well. It's, it's fun again. It's weird. It went from like, it seemed like it kind of was like a desert for a little bit. And then what happened was it seemed like you got a lot of the fake gurus going on there and spilling out their heart. And then that actually transitioned to actually people having vulnerable, honest like communications on there on the organic platform that was like, okay, we're we're back to the the good side of LinkedIn. Like we're we're on a very healthy side of things. <laughs> Either that or it's just all of us like I'm over 30. So all of us 30 plusers are on Facebook less and now we're on LinkedIn, but we're still maybe using LinkedIn like Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair oh fantastic Caleb this has been amazing I've really enjoyed nerding out with you and we should definitely do this again um, but where can our listeners find out more about the services you offer yeah so we, you can just go to our website it's C-Roach Consulting C-R-O-C-H-E consulting.com um, we have a lot of resources on there and then we do have a no obligation 30 minute free strategy session so 
Um, we won't try to sell you on that. I mean, maybe we might, you know, who knows? It's kind of a lottery system. Just kidding. Uh, we will not sell you on that. So um, what we try to do is just at least give your your business or your team kind of a direction that maybe you could go internally. And then if there are ways of opportunity or ways that we can help, if that's expressed, we will go farther. But we like to keep that as kind of a help you build your business because what we've seen is the clients that we've really helped build their business and have worried more about their business than our business has come back in twofold. And so we really like building businesses and giving more than we take. Um, so we have that on our website. Um, so if someone wants to check that out, someone wants to book a call, um, we'd love to kind of talk through what they're currently doing and maybe some pivot or optim op optimization areas that they can they can build within their business. Fantastic. And shameless plug from my end, like working with consultants has always, it's always worked really well for me. And stop trying to figure all this crap out for yourself, guys. There's plenty of smart people out there to help you. So definitely, uh, the link will be in the show notes and you can check out Caleb. Awesome. All right, brother. Thank you so much, man. This has been a blast. No, thank you. And I'll awesome. end it on one last thing. Uh, we both have MBAs and yep. I had done that, that like, Ooh, maybe I'll go get a JD until I took my first business law class. And I'm like, dude, this is terrible. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was thankful enough to have my sister-in-law as an attorney. And so when I was going through undergraduate, she was actually at SMU law. And so she was like really, really helpful to see, like she brought me to a class. I was able to sit in and watch and my eyes were open to like how different, different the law side of things was, especially in like law school, like seeing how stressed she was. I was like, this is a like top student at undergrad, top law school student, and she is stressed to the max. And I'm like a mid-tier, I'm terrible at tests, I'm okay at like studying, and I'm like, I'm not going to survive. So it's not even worth spending 60 grand to try to get a JD when I'm not even a pass. <laughs> and right. then you got to think about the bar. So um I, mad respect to attorneys out there, though, seeing all everything going on, because I mean, your first first couple of years, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a um, big four consultant, like you have no family life, you just basically work. And for me, thankfully, I realized that because I got very quickly into the family side of things. And uh, I don't think my wife would appreciate if I had no family time. So for sure. Awesome, brother. Let's Sweet, go. man. Well, we'll be in touch. And thank you so much for joining us today. And yeah, guys, get on your marketing. It's going to it's gonna propel you forward and good luck and know that there are plenty of experts out there to help you. All right. Thanks, Caleb. Have a great Thank day. Thank you. Appreciate it. You too. Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click start here.